Welcome to the Right Deepest Podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please like and drop a five-star rating to share this podcast with the rugby world. And please come in and visit us on our social media channels and our website to keep up with the rugby news all over the world. I'm Tala. I'm hosting this podcast today. I've got Sean and I've got Cooks. Um, as you probably have noticed, we weren't able to get a podcast out last week. We had some technical difficulties, unfortunately, with the same guest that we'd had technical difficulties of last week. So, Sean, I'm not so sure if maybe um, Thomas Kobe is the unlikely, unlikely one or if it were the problem. But every time we try to talk to him about France, something happens. Listen, I, I'm uh, the opposite. I think it's me. Like, I remember the last <laughs> one was binned because none of my audio came through. And then I had issues halfway through this one. So I decided to sit it out and then nothing came through. So, yeah, I'm getting a little nervous. And then you know, you know that Scotland has won, and Finn Russell's in back and forth of Cooks has joined us in the podcast. Cooks, welcome back from your SA20 uh, journeys. I'm sure you're excited to actually fully concentrate on rugby for a while. To be fair, I was I was going to come on last week, but I mean, it's got an all this best England, so I thought, you know, not, <laughs> like I was like, just just clip what I said last year about it and um and and, and, talk, and talk about that. But I, I figured, I figured, I figured I'll do my boyfriend some justice. You know, I would. Uh, I would um, I'll show up. Um, yeah, excited to focus on rugby again. Shame rugby seems like the ugly stepchild at the moment. First of all, World Cup, now SA20, and it's, it's like kind of like my side piece now. So I'm, I'm focused to 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 give rugby some some proper love again. I'm su- I'm surprised, Cooks. I was actually waiting for you to do a solo pod last week. I mean, we didn't push That's anything out, so I just figured you were going to do an hour an hour piece alone just on Scotland. So. Yeah, maybe next time, my man. <laughs> <laughs> After the island game, maybe. Sheesh, imagine. I, I did say to someone, I was like, oh, I, I, I saw you post about Finn this week. I was like, um, they, they beat Wales. I'll, I'll, I'll come back out of, out, of, out of retirement. And they did. And then the funny thing is, I, uh, I was at a bar, so half time, I kind of like stopped watching for a bit. And then it was like, someone's like, are you not going to finish the game? I was like, what voice wins? The job was about to be done. We're going to enjoy a beer. There's no, and it's, it's, it's got no point on. And then, like, front of the offload, and, and someone's like, eh. someone ran to me, like, Finn is, Finn is going off again today. Like, and, and I'm happy that people know when Finn's happening, I, I'm, they, they come to me and warn me. And I'm like, it's like warning me that um, water tastes good or oh, beer's a great drink. Like, you're worrying about, stop worrying about things that are normal. <laughs> ah, there we go. Welcome back, yeah. Flip. I missed you. He is on top form. Don't worry a bit, ladies and gentlemen. But, we need to start, even though Cooks wants us to start in Myrfield, we need to start in Dublin for the match of the weekend. Ireland versus France, number one versus number two in the world. The first time that the Six Nations has had both the number one and the number two teams in the world. And Ireland won a match 32 points to 19. And in some ways, it's a maybe a flattering scoreline for Ireland uh, because France played quite well. But in other ways, France probably stopped about four or five tries from happening as well. So it was just such a bonkers game. Cooks, I'll start with you. I don't know if there's been a better 40 minutes of test rugby than the first half of the Ireland game. I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Like there's just crazy rugby happening all over. Each of the world-class players like stepped up to the plate. And there was also just a little bit of just all oh, a big bit of craziness that was happening during the course of the game too. You know what? I, the first half I sat there and I was like, "Yeah, these are the best two sides in the world." 
Like if there was ever a doubt who the best two sides in the world are at the moment, I think that's that first half where we sort of eradicated it. We always like like you know when like an uh, England plays the box so that then like that level sort of lifts. I was like I sat there and I was actually a little bit worried. I was like, oh, I don't like I'm even more worried about the box. I'm like, we've got to play Ireland and potentially France. And I'm like, I, that does make me a very, very, very nervous man. But what a great half of rugby. And I think Ireland is just I know a lot of people saying like, oh, they might have peaked too soon, but I feel like they, they're getting better. And I feel like there's a lot, and they, and they still have things to improve on. I mean, I'm going to say this. Uh, I've always been a, a, like a, I was a DuPont was, was great, but I've never like obviously been as big on the hype train. But on Saturday, I sat there and I was like, this is a freak. Like, I don't think there's a stronger like pound for pound rugby player than there is like on the planet at the moment than, than DuPont. And I thought he was freakish. I mean, Johnny Sexton is still, no one he got tired. I don't even know. No one he got concussed. I don't think he's, he's ever moved that far since he was like twenty one. Like no one he could have finished <laughs> that game. But um, that first off was that first off was crazy. Um, uh, yeah, I get, like it sounds cliche, but the best thing to say that 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 was the best two sides in the world in action. And you could see that the difference in class. You get round one and you look at Golden Wales, but you look at when England and I mean Ireland and France. That first off, that that's gonna be tough to top this year in terms of. The quality of rugby. Sean, do you agree that we saw the best two sides play, getting at it on Saturday? Well, you can't argue against it with the with the rugby they dished up. Um, I think the important thing, Cooks, that you mentioned that that Ireland seemed to be getting better, and that's that's something that I I think a lot of people, but definitely me, didn't expect Ireland to be able to kick it up a gear the way they did. Um, they are they evolving as a team, which is flipping scary. Um, they're able to, to change things up. They're tactically able to do um, a lot of other things. They kept the ball in play. I know we, we chatted about it um, offline where I've, I was under the impression that the French were, were keeping the ball in play. They love, they love the sort of like running it nonstop. And obviously against Ireland, you don't want them to set up any platforms. You don't want them to have a chance to reset their defensive system or anything like that. And it turned out that Ireland were probably keeping the ball alive as much as France were. So um, probably more so than France, to be fair. So it was incredible. It was great to see the way that they um, they approached the game. I, I, I thought 32-19, I thought the game was a bit closer than that. Um, but that is probably not fair on Ireland because of the way that they approached the game and they just wore down the French and then seized the opportunity when they got it. So incredible, incredible game. And number one and number two in the world for sure, South Africa um, and New Zealand are definitely going to be putting their hands up um, later on in the year to to claim that uh, those, those unofficial titles because I'm not sure that Ireland or France will be able to be dislodged too much before before the World Cup starts. Okay, so let's look at it from sort of team by team and then moment by moment. And I think you can probably just see how good Ireland are. And Sean, I'll, I'll stick with you. Because just see how good Ireland are by that try that you know Keenan scored, that um, little that move that they did off Sydney B, B at Bielan, um, which is apparently or has been for quite a while a, a Joe Schmidt um, special. Uh, we've seen it with Australians last year, Scott Wisemantel as well. But the way they ran it and the, the number of options that um, Hugo Keenan had to score the try as well was just ridiculous. 
So you've got on one side that sort of move, but on the other side, the two tries that Porter scored and that pick up and drive. And also it, it was quite evident even in the game last week against Wales. And Sean, you can just also touch on, on that as well, that Ireland has not only probably the best attacking structure in the world right now, but they probably also have the best pick up and game and like sort of like close contact game in the world at the moment, or at least close to that, because it seems like they're able to score if they go wide. They seem to be able to score with tricky moves. They seem to be able to score with pick up and drives as well now. Yeah, they have they have a lot of players in a lot of positions um, that are are really well suited. They're fitting into all the game plan and all the the, the things that are required. Um, there are players, many of them that are actually filling in positions and they're showing the skill sets outside of their regular stuff. And, and Bielem's a great example of sort of in the 10 channel with a dummy and, and a pass. So yeah, they, they, Ireland, Ireland have a full bag of tricks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they put that move away. I know everyone's very much aware of it and analyzing the hell out of it, but um, the Springboks were undone a number of times by having lazy uh, sort of pillar and post and, and ruck defense. Um, that's the kind of thing that you want to train into your team that it becomes a 100% a heads-up play and you want whoever's running the ball, whether it's your lucid, whether it's uh, your your massive flank, uh, your number four-stroke flank, or you know whoever it may be, you want them to be able to make those decisions. And um, I think any team in the world at the moment, if they have lazy guys defending there, they're going to get done. Um, it's going to be looked at. It's going to be run in training by many, many a side. Uh, we'll definitely be seeing it in, in club rugby and in super rugby moving, moving forward um, next month. So, or sorry, later this month. But yeah, it, it was great. They, they really, Ireland are really looking good. They, um, you know, I said that they perhaps looked like they maybe scored a bit too many uh, points on Saturday, or should I say that the scoreline flatters them? And, and again, it's, it's not fair to say that, but, I thought that they were worth more points in round one against Wales. They, um, the Welsh came back in the game and defended really well, but to be fair, Wales are almost sewn up as wooden spooners. <laughs> like they really are looking that poor. Like if, if you had to make, make the call in terms of form, Italy are definitely not the sixth place side in the six nations at the moment, even though they've, they've also lost two. So it doesn't really matter. It's just the way Wales are playing at the moment. Um, but Ireland looked good. They scored 34 points. Uh, they looked super, super comfortable. There were moments in the game when, when Wales were, were on the brink of, of gaining some momentum and maybe a foothold in the game, but the Irish defense got them. So Ireland, in terms of phase play, they're probably the best attacking team or for set piece for the first, say, three phases. I don't think there's anyone that, 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 can, that can beat them. It's after that that you need to... You need to try and rattle them and, and get on top of them. But they have the tight game. They have the wide game. They have the soft hands. They've got everything at the moment. It's just how long can they keep this going? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it's the, the scary thing, as Kutsi said, is just that they're improving. And we thought maybe they got to the top of their range with the New Zealand wins up the way last year. And, you know, they did have a bit of a struggle against South Africa, but they were able to you know, proven that test that they can sort they can stand up to the bigger physical sides. And with France now, they just had a an, a masterclass of, of tactical um, skill as well. But to focus on a few of the players, and you're welcome to add in other players here as well. But I think 
the two form players for Ireland are Caelan Doris and Shilo Keenan. Um, I think they're probably the two leading players in the Six Nations right now. Doris was just fantastic, you know. Two tries from like just crazy offloads. He had a turnover. He was an absolute nuisance in the racks. He made 88 meters. He beat three defenders. Hugo Keenan on his side was just brilliant with his attacking, um, with his kicking game. He had 181 meters, which is ridiculous. Um, obviously, he scored the try as well. And he made also some good big defensive hits when he needed to as well. Um, there's many players you can add in, but I think those are the two that you can start with. Yeah, 100%. Tal. I think Kalen Doris is doing his best to put an early shout for World Player of the Year. I mean, he's been incredible the first two games. And um, it's it's so hard not to love Hugo Keenan if you love rugby. I just love everything about his game. Like, like I know you hear that, the 181 running meters, but it's just like there's no like weakness in his game. He just he does everything well. He, and, and like you look at his kick, that 422 he won. I mean, the right foot, left foot, he's got it all. But I think, yeah, those two are definitely the standouts. I think Doris, yeah, man, Doris is playing for some incredible rugby. But also, I mean, I'd love to throw in again, Gary Ringrose again. Like the, the try he scored at the end, that just shows the sort of confidence he has now. I still thought he had no right to, to score from there, I think. But the confidence he has now in his game, and um, I think, yeah, he's flying at the moment, and he's he's probably been the best player from from the start of the season until now, if you, if you consider um, provincial form as well. But for me, those three were the absolute standouts. Um, yeah, I, th- I think with Ireland, the only concern is what happens when Johnny Sexton gets injured. It's funny how a side so good, you take away one player, they're a completely different side. And I thought Ross Byrne wasn't too bad, but yeah. If you remove Johnny Sexton from that side, the last 20 minutes, they didn't look as good. So, unless Ireland are going to play in blue when they play with Rosberg, which is a URC goat, <laughs> then I think they need to find a way to, to, sort of, to, to, to sort of balance the loss of Johnny Sexton whenever he goes off. But um, other than that, yeah, Ring Rose, hand, um, Keenan, and um, yeah, it's Doris among my three stars on the weekend. Yeah, I think at least yes, or Saturday was probably the first time that um, there wasn't a noticeable drop off when um, when uh, when 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 Burn came on because it did seem like he could still keep the the, the game going. And Casey and Burn did amazingly to close off that game. I think the one big improvement that I noticed from Ireland this weekend compared to even last week when they had that big um, big lead against Wales and then sort of didn't really. Uh, they had to defend a lot more in the second half was that their game management in this weekend was fantastic. Their kicking game just thin France to the 22 the whole time. So I heard a stat that France was only in the 22 for 47 seconds in the game compared to Ireland being the 22 for, you know, I think over six minutes, something along those lines. And that was solely due to the to, to the kicking game of Ireland. And, and pretty much everyone that Ireland backline can kick and kick quite well. I mean, You've got Sexton, you've got the Stumhalt, wherever it is. You've got um, James Lowe and his left boot, Mac Hansen, Pete Tick Wild, Shido Keenan, we've talked about as well. And they managed that game so well in terms of just making sure that any time that they could, they could just pin France down deep in the half and make France have to run from deep. And yes, France is amazing, but they're not going to beat a defense, you know, a defense like Ireland from deep all the time with if, 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 if they called upon. Sean? I tell you, there are two players that I think deserve a mention. One 
um, is because he's just given everyone the middle finger because there were a lot of haters, but Conor Murray, his first two rounds where he was called in to start and a lot of people were freaking out about it because um, they wanted Casey to start. He's more of a like for like for Gibson Park. Murray's done, blah, blah, blah. Murray in the last two weeks has been incredible um, and really showed why he's the second choice and stroke first choice scrum off an island. And the other one is Stuart McCloskey. I, um, I've been super impressed with him. He is essentially coming into the Six Nations, is in, in inverted commas, Ireland's third choice 12 behind uh, Henshaw and Arkey, however you, whoever you see as first and seconds, up to you. And um, McCloskey's really put his hand up. He's done, uh, he's made few errors. He hasn't been a massive standout in many places, but you can't have too many guys really doing the, all the standout work. You've got to have guys doing the hard graft and, and he's one of them. So McCloskey, I thought, has been brilliant over the last two weeks. And Conor Murray's uh, basically told everyone, listen, I haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, it's a big thing for Ireland that they won the Test match with a, fin, uh, a team uh, consisting of in the in the at the end of um, sorry, I'm just getting the names now. But that Ronan Kelleher, obviously he's good, but he's just come back from injury, and you know he's then usurped by Dan Sheehan. At prop, they had Dave Kilcoyne and Tom O'Toole. Tom O'Toole looked like a beast when he's carrying the ball um, up in the last few minutes. That Craig Casey and Ross Byrne and, and Scrum Off and Fly Half, they started with Stuart McCroskey, who hasn't been part of the, the setup until um, recently. Finlay Bina has looked really good in the place of Tancho Long as well. So I think that's a big confidence boost for Ireland. And I think, yeah, there's a, there's a feeling, and I think, I don't know if you agree with me, gents, but you, you can sometimes see when a team is coming together at the right time. And there is that feeling with Ireland that, this, they, they're starting to come together at the right time that people are starting to inform and now substitutes are able to step in and play at almost the same level as the people that they're replacing. We, we've seen the story before, you know, be it the Springboks or the All Blacks in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. Cooks? Yeah, I was going to say, and also I think with the Ireland, they don't, there's no team that they fear. I think that they probably wanted their best against the Springboks, but I think uh, mentally that win for them was put them in a good spot coming to the Six Nations and now beating France as well. So I think they, the confidence they have now is they're absolutely buzzing at the moment. And to beat a French, and I thought France were good in that, in that, in the, in that first half. So for them to have gotten through that and then obviously still put on 30 points and, and a very good defensive side with Sexton going off early. I think the confidence that Scotland, I mean, that Ireland has at the moment, I don't think they don't, they don't fear the prospect of having to beat the Springboks. Scotland and either France or New Zealand because they've beaten all those three sides in, in, in their last times they've played. So now they've got confidence against those three sides and they, feel, and they will definitely feel like they have what it takes to get through that pool and the quarters and make it into, the, into that semi-final. Let's go to the other side of it and with France. Sean, I'll start with you. And France has had a very, um, not, they haven't had the best two weeks and they probably won a game against a team that some ways they could have easily have lost um, and were able to sneak through, but they, they won at the end. That, yes, they had a really good first half, but in the second half, they were just totally outsmarted by Ireland and Ireland just pretty much kicked in over the game. So, yeah, I'm sure what is wrong with France at the moment? Is it lack of form? Is it the game plan being found out? Is it just a, a rough patch, you know, 
They were winning 14 in a row. So I guess this was, you know, a loss is inevitable. Yeah, I think uh, last week against Italy was um, probably, it probably favored the Italians more with the French coming in the way they did. A couple of guys back from injury, they seemed a little bit disjointed. Italy um, still riding on a high after November. But this week, they, listen, it was 32-19 and I thought maybe I, it, could, it could have been like a 25-19 and France still would have been in it. So, you know, it wasn't that, like Ireland, like when you watch the game, you see that Ireland really took control in the end and, and, and put the game to bed. But I think if anything, France are secretly thankful for it uh, it sucks losing and it could be the Six Nations and it could be, uh, you know, it's definitely their first, no one's ever done a back-to-back Grand Slam. So, you know, there's that. But I think secretly, you know, it's great because the brains trust in, in, in the national side in France will all go away and say, right, so Ireland have shown how to beat us. How do we fix that? What do we do? How do we manage that? So that is the that is the one thing that, I feel I don't think their personnel are not up to it. I don't think that they, uh, with their injuries and stuff, I think their players and everything, they obviously would prefer to have a, a full strength side. It, you know, everyone does, but the reality is you can't do it in a contact sport all the time. I think France will go away going awesome. You know, it sucks. We lost in Dublin and uh, we really were hoping to make a mark, but now we've just been had our feathers ruffled. We are playing the World Cup at home. We are really, really chomping to be world number one and be world champions. And we've been showing up how to get beaten. The Springboks nearly beat them. They, you know, they're getting a lot of answers to questions. Now they just need to rectify it. And I, I believe that they've got the people to do it. Whether they implement it or not, it's a different story. You know, the same old French connotations are there where you wonder, shit, are they going to just capitulate or whatever the story may be? But I believe that they can kick on from this. So. The pressure of a home World Cup and all that sort of jazz aside, I think this is a great loss for them. It's come at the right time against the right team. Cooks, what do you think? Do you agree with what Sean said? Yeah. Um, it's, I don't think it's a bad loss. I think, you know, France, um, like you said, the, the form obviously, I mean, like, like, like Tomac has been playing well and you can sort of see he's come back into form and Fiku has been, hasn't been the Fiku of old and you know, the, the, the Jolange and guys are coming through. They're not El Trezor playing as well as he's used to. So I don't think it's a trade smash. I mean, I'd rather have the, the French problems in February than have them in, 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 in October. So I'd rather get these things out the way, sort these things out. And I, I, I generally don't, my, my feelings about France hasn't changed. Um, I, I do think it's the speed bump. I and mean, you, you're coming in, the, they're also the best side in the world at the moment. The side that's ranked number one and you, you saw that. So. I, I feel like the way France played in the first half, I think they blocked most other sides. I think they beat England in the first half, for example. They beat an all-black side. A potential could be the Springbok side, the way they played. So, I just yeah, they just lost to a better side on the day, which is the number one. And I, just don't, I don't think the French side have become shit overnight. And I, I think th- them falling apart, like Sean said, that capit- capitulation. Ooh, English, we'll see. Um, I don't <laughs> think it's in them. I don't think it's in them anymore. I think it's, I think it's a different side. I think that they... they I've I've seen really good side lose the sort of games before, so I'm I'm not 
I don't, I'm, I'm still not worried, but for, you know, for them, for their sake, I won't worry about this. I'm still worried of playing against them, but for their sake, I think they don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. The weird thing is exactly like you guys said, when you look at the stats, I mean, the only thing that was really bad is obviously they scored one try and I scored four. So that's obviously a big concern, but, and territory wasn't great. It was 64% for Ireland, but defenders beaten that more. Uh, clean breaks are almost level with Ireland. Uh, turnovers won, they were almost, they were level with Ireland. Kicks from hand, they were level. It, it, and missed, and the tackle percentage, Ireland was on 73% and France was on 90%. And I, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think Ireland almost did that by design. They almost did kind of like early Rassi Binob in the spring box of, we'll give you... We'll close you up on the outside and sort of force you back inside and force all those dangerous runners, the Penodes and the Duponts inside and back our chances to to catch them. You know, they have close to 15 bodies trying to tackle them instead of just one or two at the outside. And it worked, I mean, mostly. I mean, Daniel Peno still scored probably one of the most brilliant tries you'll see um, with Geelong having that awesome offload. But most times, even though there were some clean breaks and even though you know, the fast attackers were able to beat just insane number of defenders the whole time. They still were able to keep a, I never saw able to keep a, a, a hold on France. And it seemed like, you know, the, the, the French did most of the things right. They just need to figure out just how to, you know, just ray up their attack and their kicking game mostly because it seems like all of the teams are a bit more wiser about that low kicking end that France has and have counters to it when it's, ramming it up or, you know, kicking, you know, long back to them and just forcing them out of their rhythm. So, yeah, I guess it is good to have that opportunity to even fix your mistakes now. But, geez, looking at even some individual stats, Peno beat 11 defenders. Insane. Dumortier beat 9 and Dupont beat 6. Um, let's speak on Dupont. Oh, go on, Sean. Dumortier uh, impressed me. He, he's, yeah. uh, he's a slippery bugger. Um, uh, Peno was he's ridiculous. Left, he's left where you can go, I think. He's almost exactly the same way that he runs, even. It, it's very similar to how David Peno runs. Yeah, Peno was ridiculous. Like, the, how he was beating some of those guys, I think you mentioned it. You're like, he just doesn't know when he's tackled. But, but Dumortier, um, I, I found very interesting. He, he, he I, as Thomas mentioned in our podcast that we never ever got to air, um, he, he Penno's got these massive legs and it's just really hard to tackle him. And you can see why he gets through. He's just a big human. Demortier is sliding out of these things somehow. Like he's very deceptive. And uh he for a youngster, his well, his finish, his his try was was relatively simple, but just the stuff he was doing, I was super impressed with him. Then all of a sudden French have got like a billion freaking wings that they can pick. I mean, Villiers is not even back yet. Never mind uh, a great, a favorite of the Rugby Bids show, which is Teddy Tomai as well. Um, oh, the best, most <laughs> balanced runner ever. <laughs> Sean, okay, how does Dupont stop Mac Hansen and Max um, in that defensive moment? I don't know how you even explain that. Well, he's friends with Harry Potter. There's, I don't know. <laughs> how do you explain that shit? Like, I, the thing is, is us South Africans have seen it before with Edward Funamava, where you're just like, that's ridiculous. But, uh, Dupont's gone and done it. That that guy is uh, he's a he's a talent, man. I'm I've been watching him very closely lately. 
Um, and just him kicking off both feet is madness. He gets such distance. But the thing is, because he's kicking off both feet equally, he, the defense can't set up. So they can set up one side and then he's like, okay, cool. I'll kick with my other foot now just to really screw you over. So he always gets great distance because he's hardly ever under pressure. I was going to say, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I was Mac Hansen, I would have left Aviva Stadium and gone straight to the gym because there's no way Scarroff just manhandles me as I'm about to dive over and score for a try. And just like, I, 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 must, I would love to know what Mac Hansen was thinking because he picked that point and like, oh, cool, easy, easy foul points and just slowly but surely just gets dragged away from the trial and it just gets thrown out. But, um, but surely it's right. I mean, to points, yeah, it's freakish what he's doing at the moment. And he's almost in that... Um, that, board, that, that that peak bottom bottom barrier stage, like he may not be like the world player of the year at the moment, but like half the time he's probably the best player on the field, like talent wise. And he's just that's where he's operating now, where he sort of when he does something well, it's like oh Dupont's done this or done this again, or like I think that's where I sort of see him now in in, in that old bottom barrier moment. It's like he's the best player in the field, and it, and you could give him the world rugby player of the year award every year, but then it's like it's just. Like, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, he's giving me very strong, I, I, I hate to say this, but he's giving me very strong, like, almost like getting into that conversation of bread here of like, peak Johnny Wilkinson, peak Dan Carter, peak sort of like Richie McCall, Brian O'Driscoll vibes of, I don't care how bad or how good to use or France look, he looks like the best player on the field nine times out of 10. And, that's a, a brilliant challenge. And I mean, we've seen him now with the France team that's not having its way. And he's playing still to this amazing level. And we've seen him grow his game. So yeah, he's just a brilliant rugby player. But let us move on to um, the, the next match, which was Scotland beating Thrashing Wales, actually, um, 35 points to seven. And obviously, we have to start at one place. And Cooks, I mean, Ben Russell has now had I think it's nine try assists in the last 10 tests that he's played. And I don't even, I mean, not to be the fun hater than I am, but I am a fun hater. I don't even think he's playing that like amazingly at the moment. I think there's still some like small mistakes that he can cut out of his game. I don't even think he's been playing as well as he did against Argentina last year. But I mean, he's cooking and Scotland is cooking. And, you know, you can say which one's the chicken and which one's the egg in that situation. But you can see how that is positively impacting the team and that Scottish backline is looking dangerous at the moment. I'll say, um, I, I think you spot on Tala. I mean, I mean, you know me, the, the fun lover, I've seen him cook in ways a lot like, like, better and like, even play a lot better, like individually in terms of just making mayhem happen. But I think the big difference this, this year is, well, I mean, um, Chupalutu and Hugh Jones is always known on Twitter at uh, Hupalutu. Um, those two, I think, have made a massive difference to Fun Russell and Scotland because he's got a. I've always thought Fun Russell and Hugh Jones have always they've always had a great com- connection. They've always played well with each other, and then then obviously Hugh Jones just vanished into thin air again, and then they thought Gregor Townsend did Gregor Townsend things and didn't pick him. Um, so let me not get started on all Gregor. Um, but I think with Scotland. The big thing is the pack's playing really well, and I think that's 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 something that that's helped them. Against England, they defended really well, and and then Finn Russell obviously is able to pick apart all these moments. And I think the backline is as balanced as they have now. And that's missing Darcy Graham, Carl Stain's been amazing, 
I'm not doing one to be good, but Carl Stein for me is an, an underrated hero. Preach. But yeah, I think Scott preach, Dementry. Preach, of, preach, Carl Stein. I'm sure he's been quality. Mate, I, I was trying to explain to people, like I am a bit biased. Uh, I'm a big fan. I did a bit of work with, uh, w- when he was at Griquas, I was doing a bit of work with Griquas, but he he's a, he is the hardest worker. He is const- his decisions he make makes he very seldom makes an error, but he works so hard. He's not your he's he'll go for the corner if he has to, but he will always make sure that the ball is available and alive if if he doesn't feel like he's going to make it. There's there's times where his his involvements have 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 been um, have resulted in tries. He's he's incredible, and I'm so glad he got points this weekend. Sorry, Cooks. Yeah, no, hundred percent sure, and me too. I think. Is also that that winger is like you know the you know those wingers they're just like they just don't make mistakes they just do the right thing each, they get the ball ten times ball either score try they got no flaws in their game great great balling and does defense gets in the air love Carl Stan I think in Scotland at the moment it's this was the big one tell I mean you we spoke about it last year's but beat England lose to Wales beat England lose to Ireland beat and then they underwhelm the next day so I think for them to Wales may not be great but for Ireland to sort of make that statement. I mean, for Scotland to make the statement, get that win now, the two out of two, they're going to France with a whole lot of confidence, and I do think they can beat France because after coming over a, a performance like this. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, what's the worst is, I don't know, the timeline, sorry, lost, but the timeline now is all fun, positive event. All these guys are going like, Finn's might be the it might be the best team in the world. Where were they when Finn was not playing well? It was just me. Where were the same people? <laughs> Where were they? <laughs> It was being, when I was being attacked, oh, you're supposed to get your boy. Oh, your boy's getting smashed. Oh, your boy is this weird. Now I'm going to go find clips like, no, but Finn's doing this. Oh, now all of a sudden, they're like, I, I just said them like, you know what? I just, I remember the dark, it was dark for me days of me on Twitter stage. Then even Greg of Towns that are fighting. Where were they? Now look at them. Now, they, now they're basking in this glory. Where were they before 2011, 2021 Lions tour? I said Finn must play. They called me a madman. Where were, where were those guys? Oh, but fine. Let them enjoy Finn. I mean, my seven Finn will cooking. Dash, thanks for you. Guys, better hope Finn doesn't win the Six Nations. Their agendas, their little agenda then. Oh, oh my oh, goodness. Dan Cotter come outside. Imagine. Dad imagine, oh my word. Imagine the turmoil. Imagine, imagine the shitstorm in world rugby if Scotland Grand Slam the Six Nations in a World Cup year. Imagine. I personally don't want to imagine to be honest. I'm saying Dan Cotter's never done a rainy day in Cardiff. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I, I, I mean, in Feb, I in Feb, no, 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 in the year tour. <laughs> I've look, we've been here before, guys. And last year we did this. I got caught up in the in the Scotland mania. I was like, okay, you know what, Scotland, they're looking really good. I think I even had a take that they might have one of the better four types in the world. I was like, okay, this team looks solid, and then they laid an egg for the rest of the tournament. And I said to myself, I'm neither just in Scotland again. But I think I'm still, you know, to be the pessimist in this, I think this is more about how bad England and Wales are than how great Scotland is. And this next match against France will show a lot. Will show either Scotland is, you know, the best of the rest, you know, in that sort of second or whatever you want to call it, almost tier two outside of, you know, the top four France, Ireland, and South Africa, New Zealand. Or are they maybe someone that can join that conversation and 
you know, start to cause Ninaba and Rassi some problems because, you know, Scotland and Ireland are in our group later this year in the Rugby World Cup. I tell you, 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 you're being a pessimist, but I'm going to ask a question, but Cooks, I, I definitely want you to answer this. Um, I am going to chat, you know, when you say, is it the, are Scotland the best, um, like because they played against England and Wales who have been poor, blah, blah, blah. I do think, I don't think Scotland, I don't think any Six Nations side, and please, I, I will be corrected if I'm wrong, because I, I'm not too familiar with many, many sides that have been going, have been, um, have been named. But I think Scotland have named the most attacking backline that the Six Nations has ever seen, and one that is 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 continuing. Like it's not, it wasn't a flash in the pan kind of thing. Like they're, this is how they're looking to play. I don't think there's been a, a more attacking side. Um, I, I don't a backline. I don't think it's the most balanced backline. I will say that. And my question, Cooks, is Huey Pilato are are brilliant. They're great. They're attacking. They are the best midfield pairing I've seen in a long time. Do you think they are sustainable defensively? Because I um I was a I was very hesitant to, obviously when they unleashed when they unleashed themselves against the Stormers, they ripped it apart. But I um, I've always rated Hugh Jones. I think he's one of the best attacking players. He's got an attacking mind. I just worry on his defensive positioning. I don't have an issue with him his tackle, he doesn't like shy away from tackles. I just think he gets in bad positions. And I did notice against the Stormers, he was not defending in the 13 channel. Whereas now I've seen for Scotland, he does defend in the 13 channel and around, but they, they do, they're very fluid in how they move the 10, 12, and 13 defensively, and it doesn't really matter too much. Do you think that they are sustainable long-term um, defensively? And if not, do you think that what they offer on attack outweighs what they could lose on defense? Oh, yeah, I'll pass I think Sean, that's a fantastic question. I think, and I, I think um, if it was England, for example, I thought, I thought last week they got it wrong in not playing Oli Lawrence at 12. And I thought, Bingo. I think if you play against Scotland, especially with Hugh Jones and Hugh Paludu, I think you'd need a more physical, a more physical center pairing and sort of weigh them down and just keep sending numbers down there where I think that's, that's a way, that's a way to sort of hurt them. I think obviously the Springboks interesting part is something like David Delaney, Lukanya Am. I think Lukanya Am also will be a, a, a tough nightmare for Hugh Jones, attack and defense. Cause I mean, I'm, is a smoother way to smart, but I have a feeling with Scotland is they are willing to go. If you look at, if, if you look at that, England game, as much as in their possession, that he feels like that side is built on turnover ball and they're willing to win the game 35-30, all five games. They, they're almost going, we're going we, to gonna win this game by running, running the score up. And I think the backline they have now, that's what it provides. I think they've tried, I mean, they've tried other options in, and I think, with the, I mean, Hugh Pollute is probably the best option at centre. And I think it opens up the way because if you take away, like, I mean, Hugh Pollute, it's, it basically becomes a Fred Russell and Stuart Hogg try and do something sort of game. And, you know, then Stuart Hogg does, tries to do too much and Finn tries to do too much. And I think now with the centers, they've got this balance where they've they got, they got Akun Jones and they've got an extra playmaker. Now it's the ball in the middle. He can create something, freeze up someone like Hogg. I thought Blake King was very good at 15 again on the, on the weekend. And someone like that comes with the bench as well. So 
I think it's it's going to be the way they go. It's going to be interesting what happens when Dorsey Graham gets back because it's going to be hard to not play him as well as Carl Scott's been playing. And one thing about Duan, I must add, someone like Duan is also, it's such a cheat code for someone like Finn because Finn is a very good and like Hugh Jones at throwing the ball over the top. And now Duan's with this bit of mongrel about it. So I think also added a different dimension in the way that he's been playing at the moment. So I think what Cricket Down tells it has done well is build this throughout the four years. It wasn't consistent, but now that Scotland has a strong and a very good defense, they have at worst a decent set piece. You know, their scrum is quite good. Pierce Kuman is playing his socks off. Richie Gray's made a big difference to their scrum and their lineouts and just getting um, making that solid again. They've got obviously really good moves forwards. They still can call on Hamish Watson and Rory Dodge to, to join that. And that's them being solid in those areas, then having a very good defense, then build the foundation for them to have that attacking game plan going. Glad that Blake Kingle is finally playing fullback and not fly half. I think he should definitely replace Stuart Hogg, if I'm honest. Um, I, I would, yeah, it's, it's, we're going to see how Hugh Jones does in France. I mean, it's difficult to drop him now. Um, I was thinking they probably played Chris Harris in the France and Ireland games, but. It's now up to Hugh to show that he isn't overawed by, you know, playing, you know, the best outside centers in the world in the next few weeks. So if Jones and Tupanoti can show, um, you know, so, they're solid in defense, um, you know, I think Darcy Graham will be eligible for the next few rounds. Then, yeah, there's a uh, decent chance Scotland can at least give uh, France and Ireland again. That, I think the main thing for Scotland, especially in the group that they're in for the World Cup, is. Beyond winning, they just need to show that they can compete against France and Ireland because the Springboks are, depending on how you want to see it, they're either at that level or just below that level. So, and they probably need to both beat at least one of them, if not both of them, if they want to qualify for the quarterfinals. So these next two games for Scotland are going to be massive to see if this is you know, a real thing, if they're a real threat, or if they're just going to be the best of the rest. Yeah, I, I just want to... On the Hugh Jones comment you made, I think Hugh Jones is very comfortable in his own game. I think, well, he very much knows what he's good at and what he's not good at. I don't feel that he's going to be overawed by anyone or feel like, oh shit, I'm not going to be able to deal with a, a ring rose or whatever. He's going to go and do what he does. Um, that is the one one good thing about him at, at the moment. I he, you know what I mean? Like he's not he's not going to look like a deer in the headlights. Like he he may get stuff wrong, but he's he's mature enough as a player where and he's got a great connection um, with uh, with his twelve and with his outside backs that he'll just brush it off um, and then just kind of set up for the next phase. So it's more about how will the other sides exploit anything that they they can pick up there. On, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna. I've got the last two. They're both. It's both South African talk, which I love. Safas abroad, but on the pack, on what is going on with the forwards, you mustn't forget that Peter de Villiers is the forwards coach for Scotland. He has been since 2019, and he has done a remarkable job. I think what you're saying is correct. The way that the pack are handling themselves, how they've kicked in at the moment has provided the foundation that the backs have needed. They've always been expansive. They've always looked to be expansive. They just haven't had 
the firepower and the personnel up front. And I, I think Pity's done really well with how he's he's managed that, um, sorted out and brought them brought them together. They they really are a force. The other one is Duan Fanamava. All I want to say is I am so glad that this Duan Fanamava didn't arrive on the scene for the British and Irish Lions when they were in South Africa. He would have been too much for us at the time. He he has been incredible. He he was attacking well last year. Yes, he beat a countless defenders last season in the Six Nations. Um, he had a reasonably good Lions tour, but this Duan Fanamava in 2023 is streets ahead of any other Duan Fanamava that 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 we have seen. He is the way he sees things. He sums them up and how he executes different parts of his game. He's He's got different things. He's not a massive steamroller. He's a massive unit. He's now got feet. He's got a fend. He, he, he's got different parts to his game where he's looking for other options. He's very, very, very different. And that's the thing that is happening that we are seeing now. We have seen how he has evolved as a player. We were all, and I, I said it every time, if Duan van der Merwe starts, starts against the Springboks for the British and Irish Lions for three tests, I'll be happy. I have no problem with it. And he did, if I'm not mistaken, but he played a majority of it. I, this Duan van der Merwe would cause havoc. He's really in incredible form. He's grown his game. He's, he's kept his speed, his pace, and his aggression, and he's added to it. Plus, Add to that the connection he's got with his midfield and his and his um, and his fullback. He's also him and Carl Stein were are constantly looking for work. Carl Stein is everywhere. That man is nonstop work. He's grafting all the time. But Tyler, you're 100 percent correct. Black King owns a 15. I, I, I tweeted it on Saturday. The man, the way he was running, I I've watched him a fair bit when he's played at 10 and that whole conversation was happening and. He didn't look like that. He didn't look that comfortable. He wasn't running those lines. He wasn't running with that uh, that heads up uh, approach. He's a fifteen, and uh, I- I'm quite a big fan of Hoggy. I think that there's some big things that are going to happen. You can't replace Finn. Whenever they moved King on to ten, there was a problem with Finn, or Finn was injured, or whatnot. So you could kind of you could kind of justify it that way. Now, when you're going to have Finn Russell, Hogg, and Kinghorn all fit at the same time. Someone's going to bench, and I'm pretty sure that maybe Hoggy will get one or two more starts, but if Kinghorn carries on playing like this, is he's probably going to have to sit bench. And will he, will, he, will, he, will, he, will he move to the bench? I think he will. I don't think they'll, um, it's going to be a toss-up between him and, and Harris, which is going to be a tough one. So there's some decisions to be made. Yeah, I think you've you've summed up quite well, Sean. I think with the King Horn thing, at least luckily you also had your reserve 10. So you actually don't even need to really make any big changes to the 23. So you can still have Hogg and um, Paris as your true, background true. reserves. And yeah, even Hogg can play 10 if, if, if needs be as well. The Duan thing is really interesting. I maybe I'm I'm just too much of a Duan fan. I've literally been a fan of Duan from the Madness since um 2019, since um, his high school days, so <laughs> early 2010s. Um, and 
he was always like this for me. So he was always this dangerous runner. He was always this really balanced runner. He was always this like chaos breaker. Like, uh, I don't know if that even was the right term. The only things that he needed to just work out were just almost technique things, you know, things under the hardboard, his positioning in defense, all that sort of stuff. And I still have my questions about that. He wasn't really tested on those things in the last few games. Although, to me, one thing you can notice is that Max Maynard's in the England game, he scored the two tries on Duan's side, but I don't think that was his fault. Oh, those were in, in like his fault at all. But this year, I think Scott was just using him better. And I think they can still use him more. I think they can still, you know, play him. I think they can still use him like or first phase as a, as a decoy option or use him just to track the ball up a little bit. You know, there's ways, if you have a player like that, you must use him as much as possible. And we saw, and we can, you know, have not a chance to talk about it, but that try that he scored in the first test against England is probably right up there with one of the best individual tries that I've seen at least in the last few years. And that's, that's also just—that's a try of the season. Sign up, it's done. It's a, try of the, <laughs> it's a try of the tournament, but the try of the season is pretty much done. Done, you know. Yeah. So if he's able to do all of those sort of things, I would try to use it as much as possible. But that's a nice thing, and that's what Coach was saying earlier that Finn Russell, this is what's bringing the best out of them, and that's what we've seen at least with Racing as well. You give them all these options to play off. You give them a, a secondary and even a tertiary playmaker and Jones and Hogg. Even Tree Pelotu is, is a good playmaker himself. I mean, yeah, even Carstairs not too bad with the ball. And then you can just, you know, you can get those running threats all around him as well. I think that's when Finn is able to make the right decisions and to play people in and also not to try and do all the hero board sometimes. You know, you talk about Carl Stein and being a playmaker. I think he's a better 13 than he is a winger. Huh. So, like, th- there's that. And, and um, now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, that's possibly, that could also possibly help the, the, the Hugh Jones and that midfield setup now defensively. You know, he could, be, he could be the guy that is gluing that together. I know you don't ever expect it from, um, from a winger, but that could be the, you know what I mean? The balance could be settled there. But Tupelotto, he's incredible. He's a, he's a basher, he's a runner, he's a kicker and a distributor. Like, and, and yeah. he's, he's getting he's there. So good. He, he really is. I, I do, and I, it's not, it's no means uh, out, of, out of just being horrible or anything, but I really want to see Scotland under pressure. On, in the back line, like yeah. I want to see, I want to see the defense push up hard on them, and I also want to see um, them have to defend hard. That's that's the that's what everyone's waiting for. Everyone's waiting for that test match where 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 someone is running at Scotland and they have to they have to front up hard and they do it against um, against England. The the tackles that that the midfield got through was huge, 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 and I think. No one was really paying that much attention because it's a Calcutta Cup, blah, 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 and it was all about England. Um, but moving forward, when Scotland put in a massive defensive effort, I think that's when everyone is going to go, okie dokie, there's, there's trouble. Because if you look at every, every side that is in, in line to possibly win the World Cup, they are defensive giants and everything else afterwards. Look at Ireland. Look at um, at New Zealand. 
look at South Africa, look at France. The, those guys, they're all in contention for a World Cup. They've all got mammoth defenses. So that's all Scotland, we, that's all everyone wants to see is just have them de, uh, um, um, defend, uh, have to defend and test it in the defensive setup. Um, just quickly on their pack. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about the backline that's been good, but the pack's obviously been giving that. Um, they've been solid uh, up front. And just soon, maybe um, call out or shout out a few, a few names. Uh, I think Luke Crosley's played really well at seven. And, you know, he's, my, really well. he's yep. my pick for young player of the tournament. Oh, okay. Go on. No, no, no. Sorry, I just want to, you were you were talking about. I just oh. <laughs> wanted to mention that he's he's yes. he's my one to keep an eye on for young player. Yeah, well, he's twenty six. I, I guess you mean more breakout player than young. Sorry, player. that's that's what I was. I knew I knew you got it wrong, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, and, the breakout player. Yeah, and and when other fans have been calling, have been like saying um, good things about Matt Ferguson as well, and I think he's just a really good workman like eight. I think there's. You know, a lot, and I hope this isn't taken in the wrong way, but I think there's a lot of Warren Whiteley in him in terms of just high work rate, gets around the field, maybe doesn't have the ball skills that Warren had, but, you know, he's topped the attacking charts again this weekend. He had 26 last week, 19 this week. He gets around the the the, the field. There's so much um, in the game, and he's just a really good player to have in your loose trio so that, you know, the likes of Richie and Hamish when Hamish comes back and do their thing as well. And then I've mentioned Richie Gray, but I think another one is um, Pierre Schumann or Pierre Schumann. Um, he's been really Schum. good as well. <laughs> That's actually really cool. I'm, I'm glad that they've adapted that as well. But then let's maybe move on to Wales. And maybe we can also bring in England as we talk about this in England's victory 31-14 over Italy. I think it's maybe the best way to discuss Wales and, and is to discuss it with England because they're obviously in similar places, just find their coaches, uh, results went really going their way, maybe some bigger problems in their unions. Obviously, Wales have much bigger problems. And so far, not so good for Gatland and probably better for Borthwick. You'd probably want to be in Borthwick's camp rather than Gatland's camp at the moment. I always thought it would be easier well, if, if this conversation was had beforehand, it would be, I uh, would always have thought England would have been easier to to do things with because I thought England were very much on track for the World Cup. Um, probably wrong there in terms of um, in terms of being completely on track, but they're just a couple of personnel changes away from getting it sorted. Wales are in a bit of trouble, but I think that they could. Not easily, but I think they could be ready on time, and it's unfortunately going to have to be a nothing as no crazy game plans or anything like that. It's going to be just a, a simple stuff, and they're going to have to work on just the bread and butter of rugby and hope that they get by elsewhere. The Welsh love a love a thirteen twelve full time score, you know. So that if they stay in the game, then bigger will kick and. Uh, and if not him, it's half penny. And if not him, you know, it's Anscombe or whoever else is is playing. You know, they're happy to do that. I'd like to see Nick Tompkins get a little bit of um, a go. Um, I think, yeah, I just, I don't think well, Wales are not playing well and they're getting done. Um, 
but there's going to be a little bit of a of a shakeup somewhere along the line, or Gatlin's going to dig his heels in and take the boys away to Iceland for two weeks and like send them around in a speedo and get them to learn to to know each other and love each other a little bit more and and then go to go to the World Cup as the tightest team ever. Um, so it, it's yeah, I, I think Wales is a little bit more work, but I think they 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 could do it. England are very interesting for me. I against Scotland, they it was very evident that they need a big player at twelve or thirteen, and um, you've got to decide who you want at ten, and then you've got to have if you've got Marcus Smith and you want to have Farrell at twelve, then you've got to have Ollie Lawrence at thirteen or Manu at thirteen. Um, if you've got Marcus Smith at 10 or Owen Farrell at 10, then you can have Oli at 12 or Manu at 12. Um, and, uh, I mean, you could even run Stewart at 12 on attack or first phase ball or something, but they need that platform against Scotland. It, if you watch that game, Owen Farrell and England literally have to pry open the door in order to make space he has to manufacture he has to manipulate every little bit of something somewhere to gain a bit of advantage and do something now with ollie lawrence there that he's he's smashing over the game line once you've got once you've got game line advantage your your game plan the way you approach the passes what you do how you address it where the gaps are change you don't have to nothing's forced nothing is structure 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 you actually like cool now we get to wrap around now when i'm running i'm running front foot ball i have two options i can play them so whether it's farrell at 10 or smith at 10 they've got to have a big runner at 12 or 13 however they do it and uh it's you can still do a a smith farrell 10 12 but you can't have a slade or a marchant at at 13 sadly which burns me because i um I'm a massive fan of of, of Joe Marchant. I think he's gonna. I, I wish he played more rugby for England at 13, even at the Blues when Rico Ioani was starting above him, pissed me off immensely. But having said that, um, Slade had a great game this weekend. But England are a, are an easy fix. They 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 messed up their loose trio balance and they got it right this week, and it proved like one of the best decisions ever. Dawn Brunt still, still in, in your words, Tyler, on fraud watch for me. He, he had a better game this weekend. That's because um, of Ludlam and, and Willis. They were immense. And a massive shout-out to Ludlam, who has been um, huge the last two weeks. Huge, huge, huge. So um, he's been between... Like, he's, for me, been, been England's player of the championship after two rounds. Um, been great on the side of the scrum. So yeah, they needed to fix the Lucy's and they needed to fix what was happening at 10, 12 and 13 and how they balanced that out. They've done it. And England may not have played the best rugby this weekend, but they played effective rugby and people having a go at Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell doesn't play like that for Saracens. You know, he doesn't kick like that. That's not his game. Um, you know, that's not where, that's not, And but he's probably one of the most professional players in that he is, he is whatever the team needs, he'll do. Even if it's like, you'll see how the way he plays and how he manages things and what he does. But England just, Italy were nowhere, nowhere this weekend. They were just kicked to death and England went and scored and won the game. And it's inverted commas, boring rugby and not great, but it was a bonus point win and they will use that as a trajectory to move forward. Yeah, I think just to start with Wales, 
So I think Wales are just going back to basics and, you know, use what's, um, whatever advantages that they have. So play as much as possible with their kick chase game. Try and, you know, get um, themselves going with, with, with that. The, 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 the main thing for Wales now is just working. What, what can they do that they can work on for, you know, the next few tests in the Six Nations and obviously going on to the World Cup? So I would say just play the big guys and, and try to do the kick chase game, try to be as, you know, physically uncompromising as possible and as strong in defense as possible. That's all you can do. And it, it does take a bit more of a mixture of the old and the new. It's not about testing all the old people, but it's about just being selective and just being like, okay, we'd rather give Jack Morgan and Daffa Jenkins, Chris Schunza, um, game time rather than, you know, Hannah Jones and Justin Tipperick and all that sort of stuff. So we'll have to see how how Wales goes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. Unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, um, the episode got cut and yeah, a bit, bit chopped and screwed like the Welsh defence in, in a few places. But this is just sort of the epilogue at the end to just try and tie everything up. We are... Yeah, we have been very um, privileged by two great weeks of Six Nations action and also just looking at the, the, the six teams and then looking at their form. We There's clearly a leader in the pack. Ireland is clearly the best team in the world right now. They seem to be improving each and every game. They seem to have, you know, a game plan for all seasons, for all teams and are growing in confidence in how to and how they, they, they will they win games and how they beat opposition be it their kicking game, be it their forwards, be it their backline, they seem to have all the tools in the shed for them to have a Grand Slam run and have a, a good run in the World Cup later this year. We have France, they're still in Tier 1. The boys here think that there's still nothing really to worry about and this is a loss at the right time for the French. And it's about how they pick themselves up in the next two weeks in the Scotland and the England games. If, if, the, if those turn into defeats, then we can start maybe pressing the panic button. But if they, as we expect them to do, win and show they, they, the gulf in quality between themselves and Scotland and England, then it should be all fine. And it's now just about what adjustments they make um, when they face the best of the best later this year. We have Scotland, who are uh, the new emerging team in that second group of, of countries. And they're showing that they've they, they, they've put together all the things that they've been working on for the past few years. You know, the, the, the great defense, the, the good set piece, um, the, the educated kicking game into a coherent game plan where they can just let their counter-attack loose at, at any turnover ball. Can they do this against France? Can they do this against Ireland? Can they even do the unthinkable and win a Six Nations? We will see that in the next few weeks. But... This is as good as we've seen Scotland. They did um, show up when we asked them to show up in the Wales game. They did follow up the now annual defeat of England with a good performance against Wales. So now it's about, okay, we know Scotland not good and are more than deserving of that fifth place ranking in the World Rugby rankings. The next question is how close are they or, or are they even better than the, the top sides in the world in France and Ireland and they get to prove that as Stade France in two weeks time against France. 
Wales and England are in two pretty similar places. England, though, are, are the glass half full approach. They seem to have made um, some definitive decisions on who they're backing in key positions. They are backing a certain 10 12, well, Farrell's, um, Lawrence and Slade in 10 12 13. They're backing um, Lewis Ladlam in the loose forwards. They seem to have the structure of the team that they want. They're clearly going to start by working on the set piece and the defense and those things and then building from there. Don't expect any attacking razzmatazz from England. Unfortunately for Marcus Smith fans, it, it seems like he'll be used more as an impact player. And I think that's maybe even a good thing for Marcus Smith rather than um, rather than starting and having the Farrell-Smith combination. We can see that it can work in certain circumstances. So why not have it as a trump card in the last 20 minutes to reinvigorate the game and to be able to chase down whatever needs that need to be chased down. But Owen Farrell still a class play, still one of the best operators at 10 in the world. And he still is someone that, yeah, he's trying to really just drive and direct a team that still is trying to search for that direction after the change in management. And it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate um, the likes of Courtney Laws and uh, Tom Curry and Harry Arundel in the next few weeks. Do they come straight into the teams? Um, what does this mean for some of the players that showed a bit of form, like Tom Willis and Lewis Ludlam and um, Ollie Hassel-Collins? And how will the team look by at the end when, we, when they face Ireland? We'll hopefully then have a, an idea as to whether this England team is making quick progress or will be a slow and steady progress. It's also looking good for Italy. Um, they did um, have that really good game against France. They were a bit disappointing in the first 60 minutes against England, but came back really well and were threatening to even try and steal the game from England in the second half. The attack is amazing. The game management is not so good. They probably shouldn't have started with Riccioni in the, in the in the test against England. They should have still stayed with Ferrari at the at the at the tight head. And now it's just about the quality and depth that if they can build that. I think their first 15 can stick with most other first 15s around the world and keep things close. It's now a matter of, you know, once they get um, Paolo Garbisi back and he plays 10, they they could be even 5 to 10 points better already. So now that they can fare, well, they're facing Ireland next week and that'll be tough, but the, the Wales game and the Scotland game, if maybe Scotland does take a bit of a confidence hit after the Ireland and the France games, there's a reason why they can't aim for at least one victory out of the next three matches. It'll be interesting to see how Garbisi just adds something extra to this team. Finally, Wales. What can we say about Wales? It's not looking good on and off the field for Wales. The Warren Gatland era has not has got off to a false start, so to speak, and it's a it's a it's a difference of two eras. It seems like there's a a good crop of young players that are coming through, but are obviously green and inexperienced. And there's a crop of old players that have served Gatland well that are becoming beyond their prime. How do you put those two together? That's the question that Warren Gatland has. And where's that missing middle of players that should be hitting their peak right now and, and in their late 20s and are challenging to be the best players in the world in their certain positions. And what are Wales good at? I would say that Wales should focus on their kicking game, their, their aerial battle and, and just trying to be defensively solid. So just go back to the Warren Ball um, 
uh, template because the best performances for Wales in this World Cup cycle happened when they've done, they kept it tight. You can see in that match against the Springboks when they won in Bloemfontein. You can see in some of their games um, in the 2021 Six Nations, which they won. When they went back to the classical Warren Ball, they, they seemed to perform better. That seems to be their unique signing point. So go back to that. Pick the big boys in the back line. Pick the 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 NBA centers there and have the likes of Cuthbert and Adams and North and Williams just chasing up and unders from Dan Bigar for the whole night. That's probably the best way you can at least keep the, clo the score close at the moment because the side-to-side -side play that Gat is trying to do is is commendable and um, Joe Hawkins is, is showing some good things as a second distributor but it's not working at the moment and then we also have to look forward to some URC action this weekend as the Six Nations takes its week off we have two big local derbies in the South African context we have the Lions face the Sharks in, in Johannesburg and for the Lions it's just about showing that they can beat the Sharks when the Springboks rested we aren't expecting pretty much any of the Springbok regulars to be playing in this weekend's game. So these are good opportunities for especially the Lions and the Bulls at home to get those big points um, in, in, in those matches. The Lions still have very faint hopes of making the top eight. They'll obviously need a run. It's probably over. And this is a very important match for the Sharks to win because they're still at the edge of the top eight battle. They would they need to pick up points as, as, ma as many points as possible because they don't want to be relying on other teams and other factors to um, number one, qualify for the top eight, but also and maybe more importantly to qualify the Champions Cup, um, the European Champions Cup next year. They need to be probably in the top seven because they'll probably not be a Welsh side in that top eight. So the Sharks need to win. Even with their second team, the Sharks should back themselves to win with their second team against the Lions. But there's an opportune moment for the Lions who won't really lose any players um, from the enforced race for the Springboks. There's a good opportunity for the Lions to get one over the Sharks. And the Bulls um, have their match against the Stormers. The Bulls are still looking for revenge from their defeat in the URC final last year. And there's a good opportunity to face the Stormers without their regular Springboks and the magic men that they have. Good opportunity to also see if the, the Dubbo project is working even without the, the key players. Which we saw two weeks ago against the Sharks that it was humming along nicely. Jake White is now back from um, his stay in the hospital. He's fit and healthy and I'm sure he's frothing at the opportunity to, to get one over the, the Stormers. And this match will be a good, um, this match is, has big um, implications for the URC table as well. The Bulls are still within shouting distance of the Stormers in, for that second place in the log. They win this, they can get hopefully four or five points closer. They can maybe make a run at uh, trying to sneak ahead of the Stormers in the top two. If the Stormers win, they probably um, effectively secure the, the South African Conference um, uh, Championship, which means they'll probably be at least in the top three um, in the in the, the URC playoffs. But for the Bulls, it's to try and get to the top two to also just maintain um, some security in that top four so that they can host a home quarterfinal in the URC. So there are big implications for the matches this week. And we are looking forward to the Six Nations. That'll happen only in two weeks' time. We'll preview that. We'll hopefully get another um, uh, rec uh, review of one of the countries in the Six Nations and talk about how they're going and how they're looking for the World Cup. But this is a great time for rugby. There's 
we probably had the best 40 minutes of test rugby in a long time in that France Island game. We have an informed Scotland that's looking really good. I mean, everyone now is a big fan of Russell Stad. We have an England team that's starting to put some things together. We have Italy that looks at least a lot more competitive than they've looked in the past. We need Wales to come to the party and then we'll have some good um, domestic action in, in, in the uh, or franchise action in the URC, the top 14 in the Premiership this weekend. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Ravens podcast. We again apologize for uh, it being a bit disjointed in certain places. We just had to put things together at the end. We're just glad to put something out. Please visit us on on on, on our on our social media pages and um, on the on the podcast pages and 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 please share this podcast with everyone that you know loves rugby. Okay, bye bye.